Hey, you guys, welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. I am wicked excited because today I get to introduce you to not only one of my dear friends, but one of my favorite people on the planet, Terry Trespicio. Uh, I could go on and on and on, but I'm just going to read the official bio to kind of land you in time and space and who this person is. <laughs> so you have the context uh, going into the conversation. So my friend Terry is an award-winning writer, speaker, and brand advisor. Uh, her TED Talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has more than 6 million, million views. Uh, HubSpot is named her one of the top 18 female speakers who are killing it. She's a former magazine editor and radio host at Martha Stewart. She's been on the Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Early Show, The Anderson Cooper Show, as well as in Oprah Magazine, Inc.com, and Business Insider. Uh, she's a national conference speaker. She's been rated number one by attendees at Barron's and How Design Live. And she's even performed stand-up comedy all over New York City. She's also a fellow, like me, a fellow certified facilitator in the Gateless Writing Method. And she leads workshops for people uh, that helps them to tap into their best ideas. And you're going to see some of that kind of really unfold in real time uh, on the show when I talk with Terry about extracting your inner genius uh, and how she has such a gift for this. And uh, she actually uh, kind of does it a little bit to me on the show, which is really cool. <laughs> she has a forthcoming book, which I'm wicked excited. I cannot wait till this sucker comes out. And it's tentatively titled uh, Unfollow Your Passion or Stop Searching for Your Passion. I'm not sure which one they're going to go with. Uh, and it's going to be published in the spring of 2022 by Atria Simon and Schuster. Uh, she lives in Manhattan, and you can find her at terrytrespicio.com. But all the links, all her social media, you can find all that in the show notes. You guys, buckle up. You're gonna, I think you're going to love her just as much as I do. Just thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Enjoy the show. Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. All right, I'm so excited because, uh, first of all, because my guest is one of my favorite people on the planet. Oh, like, that's so sweet. That's true. <laughs> uh, I love Terry T. And, uh, but I'm going to, if you listen to the intro, you heard me go on and on and on about it with her official bio, but just a, the, the short thing here in case you get a fast forward in the crowd. So my friend Terry, my friend Terry is an award-winning writer, speaker, and brand advisor. 
She has a wicked popular, wicked popular. We're talking like over 6 million views TED Talk called Stop Searching for Your Passion. And uh, HubSpot's called her one of the top 18 female speakers uh, who are killing it. And she's also done stand-up comedy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I met Terry. I always like to give people a little background. Like, who, why are yeah. you talking to this broad? Like, what's happening? So Terry and I are both um, gateless writing facilitators and instructors. And we met at a gateless uh, retreat, a writing retreat, like years ago. Uh, and it was like this, this, this girl from Boston, this girl from New York. And we just, but if you also went to college in Boston. So we kind of had these uh, crossovers and pathways. And I just loved Terry's energy and her attitude. And she's wicked smart, you guys. Like, it's one of, the, one of the things about, like, you guys know, I only usually have guests once a month on the podcast. And I was so excited to talk to Terry about what we're going to talk about today that I, I changed the rules. I switched it up. I was like, dude, let's just do it. So spur of the moment, here we are. We're like, we're going to dive into this topic, um, which I will reveal in a second. Um, but Terry... I've worked with her personally, um, and I have never met somebody who in this realm of what she does, what she does, who can identify your genius and brilliance in a way that it, it was so fast. And you have the ability, I think, because we're too close. So many of us are too close to our own work. Mm. I know I'm diving in too soon, but I just want to say this. Oh. Too close to our own work. So we can't see it. We can't see the thing that actually makes us different or stand out or unique or whatever. And you have this way of just listening to somebody talk and then it's like, okay, boom. So I want to dive into that in a little bit. But first of all, hi, welcome to the show. Hi. Yes, Karen, you were part of the retreat, my very first Gateless retreat. It was my very first. So you were part of what Gateless meant to me. And you were also um, giving of the gift of touch in that retreat back in the days. And we met in rooms and people could touch each other. And it's a very interesting, first of all, a Gateless retreat is a very bonding experience anyway. But to, to, to feel a physical connection with someone when you don't know them yet is so strong. Like you literally left an impression on me in more than one way, not only because your writing is amazing and you just are one of the best storytellers I've ever heard, but also like within hours of me knowing you, we were in connection. And I guess maybe I have some skin hunger. I'm missing that. Yes. Yes. You know, I think about that because I don't really do, I, I mean, I've done Thai yoga massage. I've been a practitioner and also a teacher of it for a really long time, but I, I haven't really been. Can I bring it. you out of retirement again? Yes. <laughs> I always say, like, I do, I say it sometimes, like, if I have a friend who really wants me to do yes. it, like, I would do it for them or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's something about that, too. It is, it's that, it is that skin hunger right now where people are desperately mm -hmm. trying to feel um, lacking touch and stuff like that. But here's the thing, Terry, here's the thing about you. You have a wicked impressive resume, right? Like, the Martha Stewart stuff, like, all the serious radio, like, all the things you've done. But one of the things I always love to do on this show, because I feel like, you know, a lot of people have podcasts and they invite somebody on and they dive right into the genius and the awesomeness and the brilliance. But what I'm always wicked curious about is how did we get there? So like, what were you like as a little kid? Like, oh my God, are, were you weird. Were you introverted? Were you outgoing? Like what kind of a kid were you? Tell me about, oh. a little bit about you and your family and your childhood. Uh, I was a nervous kid, uh, absolutely an introvert. I did not want to leave the house. My mother would be like, why don't you go out and play? And I famously said to her, 
mom, what good is a house if you can't stay in it? I'm making good on your investment. I didn't say that, but that's what I was saying. Like, I just wanted to be left alone. I wanted to be home. I wanted to read. I wanted to write poems in my Snoopy notebook and just sort of do my thing. I was a straight A student. I was a Catholic. I did what I was told. I am the firstborn. It is textbook. And then I don't know what the F happened, but some shit changed. Because <laughs> I'm like, I was like, Catholic school girl. Like I went to a Catholic education, all girls school, you know, achievement oriented, like all that stuff. And I am no different, actually. We, we don't change that much. I, they say from when you're around seven, you're not that different. I am the same. I am absolutely still an introvert. I'm absolutely still um, in a lot of ways, certain rules adhere, you know, I adhere to and ethics I adhere to. I just don't adhere to the institutions that I originally bowed down to. So today, I mean, when you look at, okay, I'm a kid who's nervous and had stomach problems. Also, no one knew about gluten then. And I was, I was gluten and I am gluten and dairy intolerant. And I had a bowl of cereal, wheat in a bowl of milk every morning. So I spent my life with a stomach ache. And it was a nervous kid and like, just, ah, like it, it was not fun. I did not find childhood fun. I like being an adult. <laughs> so did you always wear glasses? Since second grade. Yes. So I had little orphan Annie glasses. I was always kind of a bookish nerd. And you were the oldest of three girls, correct? And the oldest. Mm -hmm. And so, and, yep. Were you and your sisters, did you actually get along? Did you oh, share yes. rooms? Like, so. We're exact, no, separate rooms, three years apart each, like, we were planned. And it, I am everything stereotype first kid that you can imagine is that. Um, so we were all exactly, yes, that is what happened. I still am very close to them to this day. Uh, yeah. But yes, that is, that is who I was. I was worried that I wouldn't measure up. I was incredibly insecure. I actually speak, I make my living a lot of it speaking now, but you, when they're like, why don't you call information, which you do, to go find out a phone number, I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to call information. I didn't want to order a pizza. You know what? I don't so want to talk to an adult. Here's what's so fascinating about this. I think people who know us would probably say that you and I both have wicked strong opinions, big mouths, not afraid to speak yep. what we got to say. If we believe in something, we're fucking going there. And we right. both were terrified to talk as children. My sister was my interpreter. I, I would mumble. <laughs> like, I swear to God. My a waiter or something would come up to the table and they'd say, what do you want? And I'd be like, she's, uh, I couldn't look people in the eye. I couldn't handle it. And they'd say, what? And she, she <laughs> would interpret for me because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. I'm like, just leave me alone with my books and the animals. That's right. Because that's, that's where right. I felt safe. Because the world didn't feel safe to me. So, that's right. So I force myself. I'm an introvert who forces herself to do extroverted things. Yes. Yes. And you know, like, Kids will be like, I don't know. I just got in the guy's van because he said he had candy. I was the opposite. I was like, what if everyone's father's a rapist? Like, I was absolutely like, I remember I used to say, like, what if something bad happened to me and I don't know about it? Like, I was already a nervous wreck. And I think that allows for a lot of the humor later. Yes. Um, we had rich internal lives. I, I didn't want to be around other kids. I didn't want to be going to group ski lessons and swim lessons. And I hated it. But I think, and I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you, but something happens. We don't change personalities, but we find where there's pleasure in certain environments, like certain skill sets yes. where not only do we learn to compensate because we realize there's a reward for speaking up, but it's that we were all so young. I mean, we didn't know what our boundaries were. Mm -hmm. And now like me, who was the shyest and most compliant, 
now I'm a big mouth. And I think that has to do with like, you know, I'm also a middle-aged woman. Like it takes you a while to yes. get to this point. Yes. I mean, a hundred percent. And I just feel like uh, something happens, right? Like that, that key point that you said, it's not like on the conveyor belt when we're getting here, we, you know, we all get an imagination or whatever, but those of us who I think spent a lot of time inward, uh, who have those rich internal lives, you know, we might, here's what's so fascinating. I don't think it's not because we didn't have needs or opinions as kids or whatever. Um, we were really, I think, fucking tuned in to what we thought. We just didn't say it out loud. We like, were forming it. That's right. It was like, okay. And then you hit an eight. Like, it's like how I became a quote unquote leader to this day. Like whatever that means. Like, oh, thought leader, spiritually, whatever. I just laugh. I just think like, oh my God, that, that kid. And you grew up in Jersey. <laughs> Did you grow up in Jersey? New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're in New York now, right? But I lived in Boston for almost 20 years. I mean, I, I went know. to school there. I lived there, you know, for long, not in the city, just outside of it. And I didn't move to Manhattan. It was always a dream to move to Manhattan, but I was also terrified of it. And so I finally got up the nerve when I was 36 and my job moved there. And then I was like, okay, can I come? Like, I didn't get the balls up. I wasn't like, I'm going to move to New York and make a name for myself. Because people have this idea, like people meet me, same with you probably, and they assume that I'm confident, that I always knew what I wanted to do. Oh, hell no. Mm -mm. I was terrified. I was, was like a tumbleweed. I was like a tumbleweed who got blown wherever God, the universe, whatever, like took me. I did not, like I stumbled into going to BU. Um, I applied but I also applied to like University of Miami and UNH and BC and BC wouldn't have me and uh, you know, a few things, but it's like nothing really. I, I have a friend who does an impression of me walking. He's an actor in LA and he says, I kind of just like point myself in a direction and lean. And then I kind of fall, like I just stumble towards things. Right. And I, and he does this impression of me walking. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And I'm just like, yeah, like I could not have predicted that I would be at BU I had never really left Lawrence other than going to like Disney world once as a kid. Like I was just like <laughs> in Lawrence mass. Like, you said, I couldn't imagine leaving Lawrence. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, it wasn't until my, uh, it was a writing teacher, my English teacher, like my senior year, um, gave us journaling exercises and we had to start journaling. And for whatever reason, I trusted Sue Callahan, Mrs. Callahan. I tell her, I saw her at a funeral like eight years ago and I burst into tears when I saw her because I told her she changed my life. Oh. I've had a couple of teachers like that, but um, uh, Miss Kay Lefebvre, I can name them off the top of my head, but Sue Callahan gave us this exercise of like, think of like uh, Julia Cameron's morning pages, but we had like weekly pages. So we would all have these notebooks, these mead three, you know, the binder things, whatever, the spiral things. And we'd have to hand it in. And, um, and I would tell her my innermost thoughts. Wow. And she was the first person to tell me that um, I had a voice and that like I had something to say. It wasn't so much that she said I had a voice, but it was like, you have something to say. And what you have to say is important. And she would read our journals and then she would hand them back to us with little notes scrawled in the thing. And in that journal, I'm going to get to my point. In that journal, I started to realize that I didn't want to stay in Lawrence, that I wanted really? to get out. You discovered it on the page. I did. I said, I wanted, I want to get out of here. And I said, I feel like everybody else is trying to, this was not judging my friends, but it's just how I felt at the time. I feel like everybody else was trying to, I remember writing this, sew themselves into the fabric of the city. And I want the seam ripper. I want to get out. 
Um, oh and Boston was only 30 minutes away, but it was still enough that it was a whole oh, yeah. new world. The right? cultural leap. Yeah. So anyway, so I just think it's so fascinating that we have these two, two kids and I had to start wearing glasses in high school, but I, like, I almost never did. I just walked around with things being blurry oh my but God. until, until later. And then I finally started wearing them. But I just feel like, man, how did we end up here? This is so amazing. We were both lucky because a lot of people, as you know, are really wounded on the page when someone makes them feel stupid or embarrasses them. And I would say like our, our, our initial relationships with the page, most people it was just slaughtered with red ink and mistakes and feeling that they're not good enough and they never looked back. And then they're missing that resource from their lives. I loved to write as a kid to Me look too. you. And I got a lot of positive feedback from teachers because look, I was also like, like, yeah, I got the attention and, and they, they told me it was good. And so then I, I started to believe it because I believed authority. I thought that they must know, right? And there's, there's goodness in that. I'm glad I had the opportunity to be heard, but then it's tricky because you don't want the locus of your own confidence to lie outside of yourself. But you and I both got that kind of feedback and we're lucky because then we felt we had access to that page. You know, well, it's not like I've really always felt free. I did not always feel free on the page, but at least it started there. Well, and that was really the only thing I was ever any good at, like reading uh. books, because it's like, I, um, you know, I always, I often say the line, like we, we didn't always have, you know, food in the house, but we always had books and uh, I always had a library card. And I always say library cards are the equalizer of poor kids everywhere. Yes. And so um, I had access to books and my mother loved to read. And so I learned to read it at, at a young age, like most kids. And I fell in love with like Clifford, the big red dog and like all those books that would come like the scholastic things, the catalogs you could order out of. And oh my God, like, like scraping those? change off the couch to try and pay for the books on the day that they came in and like, oh, like all of it. But books like saved me books. Saved they were your me. escape because it wasn't going to be math. I was a smart kid like you. Up until my mother was killed, I was a straight A student. And oh, then, gee, I wonder why. I mean, yeah, trauma much? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You weren't studying for your social studies exam when you had a serious yeah, trauma? Yeah, but I, and, and that's a whole story. But this is about you. So I just wanted to give people a taste of where you came from, because where you ended up, like how you ended up going from like, you went to Emerson, right? Not I went to Boston College, BC, actually. But, how, but what's your connection to Emerson? Because I always think- No, I went to Emerson after. Oh, that's- So I, I graduated from BC. I stayed in the area. And then I went back to school. And when I was like, well, if I'm going to go back to school, and I'm, I'm lucky, and I was very lucky and in a privileged position to be able to do that. Sure. And that is not, let me just say this. It's not necessary for becoming a writer. And if I didn't go, I would still be writing, right? But- I looked at programs and I said, I want to study and write poetry. I mean, I was a poet, Polish poet. I mean, that's what I like to do. Like undergrad, I would write poems, enter poetry contests. And so I was like, well, what it would be like if I got to study this and just go really deep into that. Um, and that's what happened. I did went and earned an MFA? MFA. Is that what you did? Yeah. I earned an MFA in creative writing at Emerson College, which so was a fantastic experience. But I always say like, because I know people who are amazing writers, we know in the Gateless community who think like, oh, should I have gotten that? I was like, no, <laughs> you I don't have to get that. I don't want, I always say this. I feel like I have friends, a bunch of friends who have MFAs and I'm like, I don't know. I think, I think going to an MFA for me would, would, I don't know how to say it other than it would fuck me up. Like, I feel like it would do the reverse of what it was supposed uh, to do. Nothing against Emerson's program, but they, the academic model, yes. writing and feedback is critique, critique, critique. And as you said on an earlier episode of the show, as soon as someone says the word critique, 
you say, you're just like, here we go. Like, and that's what would happen. You'd read your work. You weren't allowed to talk, right? Like any good writing workshop. And then everyone else just takes pot shots and uses you to look smarter. And it's not the school. I loved Emerson. But when the container is not set up that way, you go in trying to then please everyone. You want to get out of there unscathed. And so you then, I'm not saying everyone would have, but I did. It did not encourage risk-taking in my writing. It encouraged- Complacency, it inc- not complacency, it encouraged compliance in a way that I tried to please everyone with the writing. Well, right. And not great. I'm hearing you loud and clear. You guys, if you're listening, I know some of you are doing like double amen hands because the fear of looking like if you're afraid, like a kid like I was, I was afraid of making mistakes, you know? And so I did not want to. And so here's what I often say though I feel like a lot of times kids who went, took it, people who did MFAs, they have a lot more knowledge of like, let's say the classics or structure and stuff like that. I know none of that. Like so often somebody will be talking and I'll be like, wait, what is second per, like, what does that sound like again? Second per, like they're really smart in the academics of things. Here's right. what I know. This is, and I always say it like this, because of the insane cast of characters that I grew up with, and I include myself in that, in the insane pot, right? The insane cast of characters I grew up with, hanging out in bars in Boston, hanging out with just the, the, the kind of people, the blue collar, the workers, like they, I just came from a family of people who like, would like, you know, ha- like sit around the table, smoking butts and shooting the shit, playing cards and telling stories. So it was the, I had a, uh, an un, what would we call that? An unofficial. You have an organic. An organic you have an organic. Exposure to you read though. And you read, read and you wrote. And I did, I always, the first, you know, it's so funny. I'm writing in my memoir right now. Um, I, when I, when, when there's a, there's a piece in my, my book where my sister and I, uh, long story, I kind of got kidnapped, but ran away. And that's when I really started journaling when I was like around 13 years old, because I grabbed the, the things that I grabbed when we were taking off was like, you know, um, the things I would not leave behind was my, um, my new book, Cujo by Stephen King. So I took Cujo a plastic blue <laughs> pen, a plastic blue big pen, which it's like so funny. I keep one here at all times to remind me of where I came from. Um, a pla- this exact kind of pen and a, 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 a notebook. And I journaled and I have still to this day, those exact things that I wrote. I have them. Oh, wow. So they're like, I've been like, I'm reading these things that I wrote at 13, 14 and just like shaking my head at like, oh my God. But that, if I did not have a place to take my interior angst and fear and everything I was feeling, I had to ha- I didn't have people to talk to. Right. So I poured it's it the way you them. engaged in dialogue, which you will ultimately engage with, with your audience, both a listening audience and a reading audience. Um, because, and I don't know why we, we test kids on what they remember and write down, what they spit back onto the page. Are they right? Or are they wrong? And we, and I'm not going to speak for all education programs, but by and large, we teach people to read a certain set of books and we teach how to write certain things, but we don't actually teach writing as a resource for understanding, for coping, for coming up with ideas. And, and that's hard. I think that's, unfortunate because it has such therapeutic benefits to be able to getting something out of your body and onto the page. It's an embodied experience writing. And it's what a shame that we think of it's about being smart. Oh my God. And not. And, and the, the other gift too, um, of, of not just being a writer, but being a reader is you have access to other people's experiences. 
right? You have access to other people. This is where I think organic empathy can happen and organic sensitivity to other people's point of view, even if it's different than yours or suffering or what's it like to be black or LGBTQ or poor or rich or whatever. Like having- Reading is the only way. Having exposure to like other thought systems and like books have been like, I just think like, oh my God, I do not know who I would be without, um, without a love of reading and a love of books. And to this day, like I heard a question asked the other day and somebody said, if you could only do one thing all day, like for whatever reason, right? It's a hypothetical. If you could only do one thing all day, what would it be? And I, I didn't even have to think. I'd go, oh, I'd, I'd lay around and read all day. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And other people are like, oh, I'd hike a mountain. I'd listen to music. I'd di-. And I was like, oh, just give me all the books. Give you all the books because time to read is what is so scarce. And you could sit and look, I like to sit and watch series on TV too. I think they're wonderful tools for storytelling. TV oh, is an amazing resource. But when you watch three hours of TV versus you read for three hours, you do feel different after you read for three hours. You know, after I watch TV for three hours, I feel like I kind of binged on, you know, something I shouldn't have sweet, eaten. Like something too sweet. it feels too much, you know, like there's something, I think it's because the reading requires participation. Like you're, you're in the experience. It's so intimate, you know, and I think it's critical. I mean, one of my favorite people who writes about so beautifully about creativity is Twyla Tharp, the choreographer. Yes. And she says, the one thing that will determine what your life is like five years from now is purely the books you read and the people you meet. That's it. Not how much money you make. Be great to make more money, but five years from now, the money, if you go from poverty to making a hundred thousand dollars a year, yeah, that'll change you. But aside from that, what ideas you're exposed to and what people you're exposed to is going to change everything. And whenever I find I'm getting bored and annoyed with myself, I think, oh, I'm not reading enough new things. And then as soon as I start reading things, I go, oh, it's like oxygen. You're like, oh my God, I've been, if, I've been like stale and feeling like annoyed and bored. And it's like, when you read something, it's like someone just gives you all this fresh air. I love what you just said. And I think what's really interesting is we see a lot, especially in the entrepreneurial world where you and I tend to hang out a little bit too. Is that's that's that, exhausting. Yes. You want to hear what's exhausting? But that. Don't even get me started. We'll get, we'll <laughs> go there. We're going to go there. But let, let me just like circle back to this is like, you always hear the phrase, you are the sum of the five people that you hang, hang out with. Right. And I'm always like, to your point, I'm like, yeah, but I'm also the sum of the books I spend time yes. with, that, right? The ideas yes. and the thought systems and stuff like that, that I've spent times with. And I think one of the things that um, I'm kind of jumping here, but one of the things I love about you, and it, I was going to say, and it reminds me of me. How arrogant is that? Please do tell. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, I think the thing that we have in common, that's the better way to say it is, um, I am not I always ask this question of my friends. I, you know, it started with my sweetie. I love to do these kind of like hypothetical questions, but I say, okay, are you, I always ask the question, are you a rule follower? Are you somebody like I, a person who just like follows the rule? Are you a person who will follow the rules if you can explain to me why it makes sense? Or do you just break rules? Cause like fuck the rules and fuck the man and fuck the systems or whatever. Right. And I love to see where people end up like on the graph. And you were saying like, as a kid, you were totally like a rule follower. Yes. I, um, 
depending on who was asking me to do the thing, I was a rule follower. That's but right. I'm actually, I'm actually the person who's like, if this doesn't make sense to me, I'm not following it. This is stupid. I don't want to do this. This is stupid. That's I'm like right. in the middle. I'm like, this makes no sense to me. I don't see how this applies. Not doing it. Um, That's right. Cause it's a waste of time. Don't tell me to don't waste my time is what I wanted. When, when it's like, Oh, you have to do this thing. Why? It's why bureaucracy, bureaucratic stuff, forms, lines. I I can't even handle it because I think there's always a better, uh, more effective way to do things. And I hate doing things just because. Exactly. Well, and that's the point that I'm getting to is like, I think the thing that we have in common, it's not that we're like trying to, you know, there's a really aggressive approach of like, you know, bucking the system or trying to turn over the apple cut or whatever. I mean, yes, in some things in this world, totally the systems need to come down. Oh, but yes. I think you and I are actually really interested in like, like your, just like your TED talk, right? Over 6 million views about, um, the, about tell, tell them the title so I don't mess it up. Yeah, stop searching for your passion. Stop searching for your passion, right? So you and I love to kind of like flip things around. Like we like to do the unfollow because what yes. that really is though is we're questioning why the fuck do we do it this way? Question it question it. I don't like people break rules just to break them. Cause I'm like, do you think being bad makes you different? Like right. <laughs> you just put everyone at risk by doing that. Like I am again, very afraid of not being safe, physically safe. Yes. And so I don't appreciate people who break rules cause they don't feel like it. Well, fuck you. Like, you know, please do what's good for everyone too. But what I do think is critical, especially for women, um, is that we have to look at who made some of those rules and why, because, uh, when, when people, which we'll talk about, when we feel like what trips our nerves and our wires around feeling bad or guilty or embarrassed, usually can lead back to you were told that way to think that way because it's a great way to control you. So once I realized like the, the scales fell from my eyes about, oh, everything patriarchy has informed my own critic and made life harder for me, you know, and look, I have a really good life. I'm not saying, oh, I had a hard life, but that thinking of this is oh, how yeah. we do things and why women can or can't do things. Because like, oh, women, everything's equal now. It's great. No, it is not. There is a long shadow of how people are supposed to behave. And I see too many women, they're not being forced by men to act a certain way. They have done this to themselves because of what they have internalized. So I like to rip that curtain down and be like, look, it's Oz behind the curtain. Like, yeah. stop. <laughs> yes. This is stupid. So- no, I choose my own rules because while I was a rule follower and you and I are similar this way, like we did not have traditional lives. That's right. We didn't get a job and stay in it. Um, you did get married. I did not. But not until I was in my 40s. You were grown up before and, you were married at 20, right? Like, oh God, yeah. No. Married and, young. and there's a whole story behind that too, which will be in the book. Um, so, but yeah, but I had no, um, there was no trajectory. Like it was not like, I was not a woman who, uh, and this is, I always feel like I have to like do the disclaimer here. I'm not yeah. saying it's bad, but I just wasn't a woman right. who felt like I needed to have kids to complete my life. I felt really complete within myself. I did not feel like I needed to get married. I knew if I did get married, I was keeping my own name because I'd been Karen Kenny for 42 years. Uh, I like being Karen Kenny. Um, and so, yeah. And, and even just my childhood was not fucking normal, right? No, so that's right. I have a, I've had a lot more leeway, I think, than a lot of people because I didn't have this overhanging, like, what are my parents going to think? I only had that's to figure right. out what I- You were self-driven. You had right. to be. You had to be. I had to ask myself, what do I think about this? And, and sometimes um, I didn't know. 
<laughs> and so I made a lot of mistakes and I had to figure it out as I went because there was nobody in front of me reporting back. And I think that's the thing about, you know, I think we were voxing the other night and um, I, I think I said this to you where I said, one of the things about being um, the kind of people that you and I are is that oftentimes there's not somebody in front of us leaving like an exact breadcrumb trail that we can follow and say, oh, I see this. You know, people will often say, well, you know, when you're trying to do this in your business or do this or do this, look to somebody, somebody you admire and like find out what they're doing and then apply it. No, I never and do I, that really. And I know, and I, exactly. And I always say like, but when you're trying to do something differently or pioneer something or start something fresh, it's like you have to really double down on who am I, what matters to me, right? Where do I want to put my energy, my focus, whatever my intention, what do I want to create? Because there's all this talk these days about like, well, what's your legacy going to be? What's your oh my God. going to be, right? Oh, that is crazy. I know. That someone would be like, well, what's your legacy? What do you want to be known for? It's like, oh, why don't you just have me submit my headstone now? <laughs> like no one's ended up anywhere yet. We're still going until we're not going anymore. But to your point, I think the thing that scares me is uh, or not scares me, that concerns me is when I hear people, women and men, anyone saying, but I thought I was supposed to do that. Supposed what? There is no rule. There's just what a lot of people do and what you flip and feel like doing. But yeah, I mean, of course I've learned from so many people who are like super successful entrepreneurs, people I've had the luxury and uh, privilege of being around. And I, of course I've learned from them and been inspired to do things, but I basically make things up as I go because that's what I felt like doing. You know, like sometimes people say to me, well, maybe, maybe you'll get hired. Maybe one of these clients will hire you full-time. I go, well, I didn't ask for that. Why, why would you think that I want that stranger who I've never met in my life before? And well, that's the, what they want. She says, because I go, tell me one reason why I would do that. Knowing what you know about me and we don't know each other. Well, because security. I was like, that's your issue. Like we all need to be secure, but you think that it's safer to be working for someone. You think that there's safety in this and this and this. I was like, I don't think anyone is safe and that we have to create our own rules and what we'll do. And does that mean I know the answers and I'm not scared? No, I get scared too. But you're always like, that's the thing that I find so fascinating about you is like, you're always creating things. Like you're always doing like, like even this conversation is like, like we were like, we had, we had a quick conversation. We're like, let's do it. We're going to like this. You, you are like, pop-up salon. And I'm not saying you don't have some plans. I don't mean it like that. No, but I do but make stuff up. I yeah, do. You, you, you start to feel where the energy is yes. and you follow your curiosity, which is what I always, I'm like, I am always about following my curiosity. And if it doesn't feel fun, I'm not talking about, That's I'm a football right. kid. I'm all about hard work. I, I know how to work hard, but if it doesn't feel fun, if I don't feel like there's being tired because you put in some good time on the job, right? And then there's being exhausted because it's sucking the life it out of you. Sucks the life out, right. And like, you know, you know the difference. Like when people go, well, you, maybe you could do this. It's like, don't tell me what I could do. I, I'm going to do, I want to, time and energy and attention is so rare and expensive where am I going to put it? We have that choice of where we're going to put our attention. And when I feel some energy, and, and that's why I like you, that's why you and I get along, because we just move with it. We go, oh my God, just follow it. Go, go, go. Like, 
people go, well, maybe I'll sit and do market research on it. Oh my God, we don't have time for that. Like, that's why we work well for ourselves because we can make things up and go with it and let's just see what people need. And it's not like, oh, I'm a genius. I come up with things and then I just throw them out into the world. It's like, no, I'm forever talking and emailing people and talking to them and trying to find where in there I can contribute, right? That's the key. That's what we're both trying to do. There is service there. It's a service element. If I just did things because I fucking felt like it, I would be out of business. I know. <laughs> it's so true. But I think one of the things that you were just saying, right, it's like, I want to circle back to it because I think it's something that so many people, um, especially women who I work with in spiritual mentoring or just in, you know, like I'm one of those people where people just write to me and be like, well, what do you think? Right. So, um, you know, asking for advice or whatever. Um, but that, 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 that like joy sucker, the dream killer, the, 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 I can call it a thousand things, but is that word should. Yes. Like what should, again, what should, what I, should do? I do? And I'm always like, I don't know, what do you feel like doing? Like what, I'm like, what lights you what's up? What's the goal? What, right. I mean, what's the goal? It, it, like what, like, here's what, you know, it's like, it sounds fresh, but you and I tend to talk very direct. I'm always like, but what's the fucking point? Right. Like, why does the world, like, why, why do you feel, if I don't feel called, that's the difference. I don't want to just plan to do something because that's the funnel. Like, that's how it goes. Yeah, right. I'm right. like, I want to feel called to this. And I want to feel like, um, and maybe, I don't know how this sounds. I don't really care. Um, I want to feel uniquely qualified to be the one to do that thing. Like, I want to be like, ooh, like when I hear someone's like, oh, I'd be great. Like that, like, yes, I know I can help that. Right. I love to be feel. Yes. That's what like people want. That's what people want. That's the thing. They want that. And they think they, and not like, you know, everyone feels this way. That's the issue around the passion thing. Cause they go, oh, I want to, I need to pick that thing. Well, no, you won't know till you're in conversation. So you're in flow. Like I can get excited about whatever's in front of me. It's not like, well, let me pick one thing. Well, I'm not passionate about healthcare though. So I don't know if I can write their newsletter. Are you passionate about eating? Cause you're broke. <laughs> like you don't tell me what I should, should leave my job and write my novel. Do you like eating? Like, that's the question. So like right, yeah. sometimes it's beyond. Yes. It's funny. I was on a panel one time and they were asking, a, you know, a bunch of people to, to talk about their why, like what's their why. And I said, look, let, let's, just oh, be real. This, is, this is really, no, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, I, I and, but I hate that question. Right. Well, I, and I, and I just basically said, well, sometimes your why is because you've got to feed your fucking kids. Yeah. Sometimes your why is because it's That's why all- I think it's elitist. It's elitist well, to be it's, like, it's well, I have a bigger it's why. It's privilege. It's like, I just want to, it's like a lot of people just, they just need to, we're going to do it because we need to do our job. Your why is kind of like, I really have a mixed feeling about that because finding your why means, well, why do I, I think I want to help the world. It's like, well, also help yourself to a job, help yourself to something that will serve someone else. It has to be rubber hitting the road. You have to find a way to be able to serve that need. So yeah, like, of course we, you and I love creative writing. We love to explore things, but at the end of the day, the, the thing that's exciting to what is a privilege to do is to be paid to do something that feels that we're bringing ourselves to that job. So you know what the answer is? Bring yourself to the job. Like when I used to write for a wig catalog. I freaking love that. Oh my God. Went back in the day when I was like, I want a job as a copywriter, like to write for a catalog or something. And I found the job and like got the job. 
I don't care about wigs. Okay. I didn't have a feeling about wigs. Wait, you want to talk about wigs? I, I want to, I want, no, seriously. <laughs> you have now tapped into the, the, the little weirdo in me. So, okay. So you're a copper. I went to BU. I was, for BU, I was a copywriter. That's what that was. I was an advertising major. Oh, I was, yeah. I was a yeah. communications major. Love, love, love words. Because I just love words. And I, even that. Literally, it was like you, I had to pick which school I was going to go to. Was I going to go into comm? Or, and I was like, I guess so. I like words. Yeah. <laughs> I like words, so I guess so. But how does that work? You, you have to write copy for wigs. So well, I saw it posted in the, it was like the late 90s. Like I found the job online, but then had to drive to Kinko's to fax my resume. That's the in-between <laughs> world we were in. <laughs> Wait, so, so it was like hovering in the internet world, but not quite. I had to go on my dial-up modem to find the job and then drive to a place to fax my stuff. Okay. But then <laughs> what does a day look like? No, seriously. I'm dead serious. Like, can you describe copy for a wig? I'm fascinated. I'll tell you what. They, they'd be like, here's these printouts. They were like, here's the book. Here's this book we're working on. It's a two-for-one wig sale. This was literally for a, a catalog for basically older white women. I mean, that's who bought a lot of people who had been through cancer treatments, all kinds of things, but also little old ladies, a lot of short curly wigs, that kind of thing. And so they give you the book and they, all the wigs had names like Cassandra. And <laughs> okay. This is where, this is May. where, I, yes, go ahead. Please. And so they would give me the book and they're like, here, write this book. Like, what should this headline be? You know, let's, oh, and, and here's a new wig called Cassandra. Can you just write a little copy about what it is? So we'd always say things like, I would always write things like loose face framing layers make this a great, like, it was just fun. It was romance copy. And also buy one, get one or whatever, two for one. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing you do with wig catalogs. You never say wigs half off because no one wants a wig half off. You want to know that your wig is on your head completely. Oh so you'd be like two for one. You don't go half off wigs. Because then my, that sounds like, were they not going to stay on my head? It is a, I'm loving this so much. I, I dated a magician. When I lived in LA, I dated a magician. Uh, and his dad owned one of the premier like wig companies in like LA. Oh my God, what? Yeah. And so like, I'm fascinated with this whole thing because I love people who, because here's, let's talk about the creativity piece of this. Because right, it's not like you were dying to write about wigs. So as nope. writers, it's like this thing of like, I need to wait until the muse shows no. up. I nope. need to wait until I feel inspired to write. No, it, it was called, here's your job. Write this before lunch. And it was also like, no, it's a, in the creative department. I get to write copy. I didn't care what it is. It did, I didn't care. In fact, they called for an information. They said, okay, do you want to come in for an informational interview? And I was like, cool. So I went over to my mom's house to use her internet and like looked it up. And I go, you know, what's funny. It was called, um, Paula Young was the name of the company. And I go, I don't even know what they do. And they said it was women's fashion. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So I looked it up and it was like Paula Young and there are all these ladies in these wigs. And I go, oh my God. And we both started laughing. I said, this will obviously be a practice interview. Why would I assume that? I was like, had all these ideas about what it would be. Well, I went in and it's a young man in his forties was the copy chief. And he was like, oh, this is what we do. And it's really fun. I was like, um, okay. By the time I left that interview, I was like, I want that job. And they were like, we want you. And I was like, this was the best thing ever. And I got to go in there and write. Now, a year and a half later, I was taking naps in my office with my head down with the door closed because I got a little bored after a while. So it wasn't a job that was good. And I remember being like, I think I might need to leave this job. They're like, this job is not for fast risers. There was nowhere else to go there. Like it was, that was it. But it was fun. I got to learn 
who cares about wigs, right? But I got to learn how to write creative copy under direction, work with the art department, you know, how to work with the creative director. I learned certain things about the dynamics of a creative office and things that I did. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned the hard way about how to interact with people. I mean, I learned so much there. I didn't need to pick something in my passion. I wanted to get paid to write. And I took, if it had been dog food, uh, you know, a company that made water bottles, I would have done whatever. How did wigs lead to Martha Stewart? Like, how do we, do you think it helped you? Do you think that experience gave No, you of course, they, they all help each other, but they do not directly relate. The reason is uh, someone who I went to grad school with uh, reached out and said, hey, my friend is looking for an associate editor for the magazine she works at right here in Watertown. And I was like, oh my God, really? And she's like, yeah, I go, well, I don't, I, immediately, I don't have the experience, I don't know. She's like, just go and talk to her. So I went in and met with them and it was funny that I worked for a wig catalog. I mean, look, this was a very in-demand position. It was an associate editor at a consumer health, clean living publication called Body and Soul Magazine. And I was like, oh, um, and I knew I had to show how my work related because I wasn't coming from publishing even, right. from direct mail. Right. So, so I had to find the connection. So talk about, you know, when someone's like, well, what do you do? And I was like, well, I work for a wig company. Well, that, that was going to be my next question. Like, so go ahead. How do you do it? I said, listen, this sounds pretty great to me. I want to work with this magazine. This is amazing. And so I said, listen, I know I don't work for a magazine now. I know I don't have the publishing experience of maybe other people you're considering. But right now I've had over a year and a half experience of writing for a female audience, writing to sell a thing and writing to create a relationship with that reader so that they keep buying. I said, I don't, granted the topic's different, but it's not that different from magazines. Aren't you writing to a female audience and trying to get them to keep buying and form a relationship with that reader? I can do that. I didn't know I could do that, but I knew. And the elephant in the room, I didn't have the experience. So they weren't hiring entry level. This was just a step above that. So I said, look, elf in the room. I know I don't have that experience, but I have this experience. And, and you know what? I go, why don't you give me something to do? Give me some, some, they were very small office. They didn't have a formal edit test. I go, well, what are some of the things you want me to do? They're like, well, we have a shelf full of books. Why don't you pick a few and show how you, which ones you would review, which ones you wouldn't review and why? I was like, okay. I was like, give me something else to do. Like I had to show them I could do it. Mm. And I made it up as I went, same. And then I said to them, you're very quiet, sweet people. I'm a little louder than you. Are you considering that? Because maybe you don't want someone like me in the office. And they were like, no, we actually really like your energy. I beat out so many people for that job that for months I would answer the phone and they go, oh, so you're the one who got that job. Why? Because I was better than everyone? No, I wasn't better than anyone. You don't have to be better than everyone. You just have to find a way to show the people you want to work with that you can do what they need. Because guess what? They don't want to keep looking. Uh, so, and then the girl they didn't hire, they hired her to write an article and she plagiarized it. I was like, aren't you glad you went with me? Because clearly I at least had some ethics. You know? <laughs> but anyway, so this is my point is when people get afraid. In fact, here's the interesting jump. I just was working with someone. Um, it was a long story, but anyway, she was interviewing for a job and she had interviewed for a job in 25 years. Mm. And I said, well, she goes, I don't know. I, I mean, I, uh, I'm going to tell them I don't really have the experience. I was like, you have 25 years. She's like, I don't have the experience because um, I was, no one directed me. 
And so I just had to make things up as I went and I had to do everything. So I don't have hundred percent experience in one, any one thing. I said, let me turn that around for you. What okay. you just told me is you worked with no direction. You functioned as your own supervisor, created a department from nothing, brought the company into the social media era and did every aspect of marketing and copy and design yourself. I'd say you're probably overqualified. Okay. But here, this goes right back to my point at the beginning of, if you guys are listening out there, if you can hear the sound of my voice right now, what you're seeing right, what Terry just did, this is one of the reasons why I love her. This <laughs> is part of her, but that's part of her genius. You have the ability to hear somebody go, yeah, but I just, but I can't, you extract, you extract. And I keep saying to people, like, I'm at a point in my business where I'm like, I need an extraction artist. I need somebody who just kind of like talks to me and tells me the smart shit I say, because I'm too close to my work. And one of the things that you're genius at is being able to, even the way you distill down, like you're really good. And I think this is one of the things about neurotic, um, insensitive kids. We're hyper aware of our environment, right? So you yes. can go into a place and you're really good, I think, at hearing a lot or seeing a lot. And then you extract it down to the magic potion. Like you are able to listen to people. It's what also makes you an incredible gateless facilitator is you're able to listen to somebody read their work. And I think all of us, right, as gateless instructors, that's the other thing I love is that we know that the mind has a negativity bias. And what gateless does is we come in and we're like, fuck that. We're going to tell you why we love this. But I think, I suspect that you knew how to do this before you became a gateless facilitator, but I think it's what makes you extraordinary at it is that you have the ability. So some people might say in my field, right, in my realm of the spiritual realm that, you know, you're able to see, please just stay with me, um, whether you call it the light in somebody or the Christ within or, you know, the uh, eternal, whatever the, call it whatever you want to call it but you have a way of extracting the jewel of a person and not just the person, but I think their thoughts, their ideas, their dreams. It is uncanny. I mean, I'm telling you people, if you hire Terry to do something, I don't know (laughs) because you have to see it in action. Do you understand? It's so fun to do. It's so fun to do. But you, I think it's like a puzzle. You acknowledge that you have that gift though, right? I have that gift. And I am not sure what came first, you know, and because it's not like I, my whole life did this, something clicked and over years of doing work. And before I was doing gateless, I was um, a media trainer. I was, well, of course I had spent my life interviewing experts and trying to get out what they were trying to say. I have always felt that I might be a little dumb. And so I learned to ask really smart questions because I thought for sure I'm dumb for not knowing this. So my fear was always, I'm ignorant and I don't know enough. I still have that fear. I live in oh fear of it. God. Terrified oh because, God. because I don't know what other people know. I, I, what I don't know fills the entire universe, how much I don't know. So what I'm good at is zeroing in on what I just heard and clarifying and sending it back and being like, are you saying this? Because I let most things go. I go like this with focus, like real narrow the kind of broad reaching knowledge that people have, I'm very intimidated by because I don't have it. I'm really good in the moment with people live, which is why I don't like to pre-record things and promote them forever. I like to do live stuff. I like to do things in the moment and be like, what about you? Like, it, it feels like a magic show. You come up here, tell me what, okay, what about this? What about that? 
I am not also into gushy gushy. Like I was like, oh honey, but you'll be so great. But I don't know. She's like, I'm going to mess up this interview. I was like, yeah, you might. Like <laughs> you might if you don't say something. But like literally people have a block and I love my great joy is like freeing people from that block by only turning around. Just look at it this way. Just turn it around. That I see clear as day. Everything else, most of the time I feel I'm pretty stupid that I don't know. Oh my like, God. This I'm so five. Crazy. I'm like 15 years behind on Twitter. I didn't catch up with all the feeds. I don't look at Facebook and like I'm behind and out of the loop. I'm the last one to see a meme. I'm the last one to see those things. And so like, I think, oh, I didn't do my homework. Like, when I sit down to watch Rachel Maddow, I'm like, oh God, I missed the last two nights. I hope there isn't a test. I forever feel that I have missed out and don't know a thing. Oh my That's God. my Achilles heel. Wow. I mean, you, I mean, I just find this fascinating. I think I've just kind of accepted. Here's what's interesting to me about that and how I can relate to that. First of all, I think you're genius. So that just kind of like, I, I'm, I think my brain is processing this going like, wait, what? Because um, you're so confident. I'm not saying that there's not internal stuff going on, but you present, right? The things that you do talk about, you don't usually talk about like, you know how like, um, it's really interesting. I used to date and live with a um, sign language interpreter. Really? Oh yeah. And he was genius at it. He had the perfect face and the big hands and like, and <laughs> I learned how, like, if a, if a sign language interpreter, if something is a question, they'll like raise their eyebrows, like their whole face is part of what they're communicating. Right. Um, and so, um, when you deliver stuff, you, you never deliver it like a dog doing with his head on the side. Like you usually come in and I often just think like, Terry knows so much. Like there are no. so many women in my world. And I think, oh my God, they are so much smarter than me. And I always just think this, like, I just feel like I've accepted that there's a bunch of stuff that I don't know. But I'm also finally got really comfortable asking a million questions. That's, but the, the smart people ask the good questions, right? Like we know how to ask questions. We're innately curious, but yeah. there's so much I don't know that okay. people would be mortified if they knew how little I knew about no. it. And so that imposter syndrome is real because there's a lot of shit I don't know. But so I, and then I think, oh, I fooled Karen. Karen somehow thinks I'm smart. Like, but that's always with anyone. I'm not unique in that way. We all have our weak spots and our blind spots, but I just go, fuck it. I just lean into what I know I'm really good at. Me too. And if you think I'm smart because of that, that's great. All I know is I'm good at that one thing. Yeah. And I got really comfortable saying, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or or I'll I'll look it up and get back to you. Like, let me think on it, like whatever. But there's a shit ton that I don't know. What I do know is people. Like I know how to be with people. You're street smart. I'm street smart. But wait, <laughs> I want to I wanna dive into this thing when you said about like, you like to listen to things and then turn them, right? So this kind of goes back to the thing that you were doing recently, this training that you just did called Unmute Yourself. Mm. You and mm-hmm. I are into the uns and the, like the unfashion and the unwhatever. Um, so can we talk a little bit about what, because I know you were kind of on fire about that project a little I bit. I really How am. Nice, I know. So talk to us about Unmute Yourself. Oh my gosh. Unmute Yourself came out of the, uh, well, as a lot of these things, I have the luxury of being invited to speak to groups. And I was invited by a few different groups to be like, can you help the women in our group, in this women's organization or people in general of underrepresented populations to speak up in meetings? And 
it was brought to my attention of some of the articles that were out there about that. Uh, one of them was a woman in the workplace uh, survey of like thousands of people. And it turned out that like, I got, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but huge percentage of women are just routinely interrupted and stepped over and ignored. <laughs> that was pre pandemic. And what new research I saw was that uh, the Zoom era, being in a digital or virtual environment, makes it easier to be interrupted or harder to break into conversation. And because we are going to be doing virtual for a long time, that's not going away. It's just that, you know, we might go back in person for some things, but it's just that because of the, the uh, skips and the beats and the technical, you know, aspect of a, a Zoom call, it can be very awkward to bust in and people are very hesitant to interrupt. And more women than men told me that their fear was, I want to say things, but I don't know how to interrupt. They're kind of like in a game of double dutch, like, ah, uh, uh, when do I jump in? And, but I think that was conditioned into us as, right. as girls. Yes. Like do not interrupt a man is speaking, you know, like, or an authority is speaking. And so I was like, this is the kind of rule I get pissed off about. Yes. So I was like, so then I back up and where do I go is to words and what they mean. The words matter. It said, why do you think you're interrupting? Uh, and I thought, if you believe that to speak up in a meeting that you were invited to, in a conversation you were invited to, and that speaking up is interrupting, you don't actually believe you're part of that meeting. You think that you're there to listen and peel away the layers. There's something really wrong with that because there are absolutely ways to speak up, but there's a psychological barrier there. And I said, you want to interrupt a meeting? Go to a meeting you're not invited to and run in with an air horn. Now you've interrupted a meeting. Like interrupting means you don't belong there and you just busted up the joint. But when you're trying to get a word in and there's ways to do it and years of hosting radio, I learned how to jump in and get someone to shut the fuck up so I could go to commercial. So, like, so, so give us yes. <laughs> the people listening at home who might want to, uh, I have so much to say on this, but I'm just going to shut up because I want, I really want you to riff on this. Um, so how, I'll give us an example of how okay. somebody might do it. Well, and I have found very good use for this at cocktail parties in conversations. I also, I'm not afraid to use my voice Yes. Um, and you should lean in and use your voice. But if you try to, if, if you require, as uh, Deborah Tannen, I believe said, she's a linguistics professor at Georgetown. If you require a lot of quiet, open space in order for you to step in, you're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. And so what I do when I want to say something is, first of all, I I don't do it in, in interrupting is rude because what you're saying is I'm just going to start talking. I don't give a fuck, but you just said what I do as I use a little of the gateless method and I jump in. So if someone's talking and I really want to make a point about this, I wait, first of all, we're land animals. Someone's going to have to take a breath at right. some point. So the minute <laughs> they go to take a breath or reach the end of a sentence, I'll go, Bob, you know what I love about what you just said. And in fact, when they hear their name, they're going to quiet down. And when you say, you know what I love about what you just said? Oh, here's what point you made. I hope no one missed that. Oh, well, please, by all means, tell everyone how brilliant I am. <laughs> say, Bob, I love that you said this and this and this. Here is my point I'd like to add to that. My concern is this. Da, 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 da. Bob, what do you think? Go right back. So people don't think you're trying to wrestle it out of their hand forever. You go, Bob, I would like to ask something. Or if you're talking and someone jumps in or is trying to, especially on Zoom where you can hear that kind of thing popping in. You just say like, and this is why, hang on a second, um, John, I see that you have a point to make. I just want to finish the sentence and I'm coming right to you. 
It's like how you like when a table server at a restaurant comes over and says, hey, I'm coming to you in a few minutes, take your drink order. You just want to be reassured. Everyone wants to be heard. So you reassure them that you're going to come back to them. Um, but you don't say, I'm sorry, could I just, I just, I don't know if anyone agrees with me. I don't, 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 don't waste time disclaiming. Stop wasting time. Don't shit on your own ideas before anyone even gets a chance to hear them. You just, you break in. The way I look at it is, do you need the ocean to stop in order for you to swim in it? No, it's going to keep moving as it has forever. You just go in and you love on everyone as you go. I've also been on a ton of panels. And sometimes the moderator is very good about making sure I want to talk to you, then you. But a lot of times moderators just sit there and they're like, well, you're experts, you'll figure it out. And then you have someone who's talking a lot. And And then all voices don't get heard. Well, so you make a physical, if you're on a stage with me, you'll actually, (laughs) so funny. Yes, John, I hear you. And I mean, is he brilliant or what? I mean, obviously you make the person look good. That comes from improv, right? You make someone look good. You don't try to fight with them on stage or fight with them. (laughs) You don't don't start wrestling. (laughs) You don't want people to be put on the defense. If they associate you with, oh, she's talking, she's going to say something great about what I just said. They want to hear it. So I have trained people to be interested in what I have to say because they know I'm not about to embarrass them or put them on spot or criticize them. And that comes from the gateless method. So I used a lot of what we use in a gateless workshop, even in a non-gateless place. Sure. I mean, yes, all the time. I, it, it's even like, especially um, I say to people using it even in your day-to-day relationships where Oh yeah. Lead with like, you know, it's so, I, I'm just like, if everybody, I think I once said to Suzanne, um, you know, if, if everybody would just use this in their relationships, there'd probably be a lot less divorces. Um, if people would just lead with, um, you know, what they're doing positive. Well. Yeah. And you know, there's, it's not like there's no time, uh, or place to say this, this isn't working. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about in relationships. Now. Of course. Like, there's to a say place like, Hey, but this isn't working. But the way, the way that you can help people lower their dukes and put down their defenses, which is what you're, you're talking about, like knowing how to, and it's not, it's not blowing smoke up somebody's ass because you're literally mirroring back something smart. You're saying what they said. said. Exactly. And so, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things is like voice equity is like letting everybody have a chance to be heard. And same thing. I've seen so many panels where I'm in like the audience or, and I've been on some panels and I'm just like, can you let that, like, I'm like, let her speak. Like it's I get stressful. frustrated. Yeah, it's it stressful is. To get, watch. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, because justice, like, like, you know, that's another thing. About well, us. and so when I moderate, I keep a tight chain on that. Like if I'm moderating a group, oh, you're going to listen because please don't. And I'll let most of the time people, we're terrified. They actually don't want to speak unless someone makes them speak. Um, but there's always someone who's going to be out of line and be like taking over. But then you don't come in. You never embarrass. Like you said, never. you praise in public and you offer, you know, advice, advice in, in private. Right. And, and whatever, if you even need to give them that advice. But sure. I think this idea, because women have said to me, well, I want to speak up, but I don't want to be seen as aggressive. And I was like, okay, you asserting to say your piece and being a warmongering fighter, warrior person? Like, are you coming in for blood or do you just want to share your idea for the fundraiser? Like, this doesn't have to be like that. So tell us, 100% agree with that. And you also said something, because I was on the unmute call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, and I remember um, that you said something that I found fascinating. Like, wasn't there a poll 
where they ask men yes. about like, so can you talk about that a little bit? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they ask the men about when women um, go to speak, they, is it something yes. that they don't get to a point or they don't like, are they going to add yes. to the conversation? What's the, I don't want to screw it up, butcher it anymore. Uh, this was a piece um, in Harvard Business Review called Women Find Your Voice. Yeah. And what they said was, um, and I have the quote here, more than a third of men indicated that when their female peers do speak up, they fail to articulate a strong point of view. Half said that women allow themselves to be interrupted, apologize repeatedly, and fail to back up opinions with evidence. And that's not, oh, all women do this, but this is, they, they ask thousands and thousands of people, this is what they heard. Should it be like that? Like people said to me, men should just think this. It's like, oh, you want to change how men think now? Why don't you go back earlier like Greek civilization? Um, you can't do that. You can't change how people feel. But if you make them feel good and heard, you will find a way in. And I'm not talking about flattery. I'm talking about making sure that you don't just go, I, I agree, Bob, but I agree and here's why. Take up a little more verbal room. I think women Know that you're are, there to contribute. Sorry, sorry. sorry I think women are afraid to take up um, too much space or real estate. And I think the key word that jumped out for me there was when it said, um, strong. We're afraid to, because, and that's all the, um, that's all the like fluffing, you know, the fluffing that goes on before. Well, I didn't really have enough time to like, oh my God. It's like, no, it's like the disclaiming that happens and women, we do it all the time. And we do it even with just using words like just, I just wanted to say, I'm that's wondering right. if anybody else agree. Like we're, right. I think we're also wicked sensitive. Not again, I don't like to generalize. Not all women, but a lot of women are afraid to make other people feel bad. So we try to be like, we put like, we put our words through like this filter. Yes. Of if I say this, is he going to feel emasculated? Is he going to get pissed at me? And because here's the thing, um, we've also learned that when we come in strong and hot with what we think, um, we're not called impassioned or, you know, we're seen as aggressive, aggressive or a bitch yeah, or a, like yep. whatever. So we don't often get the same. But here's um, the thing. We're always going to be perceived differently for as long as we're alive and longer. Men are going to say, oh, she was opinion. But let me, this is <laughs> well, I'm like, this is about. me. Get fucking used to it. <laughs> Get used to it. Guess what? We're, and thank God we're not going to be burned at the stake for it. We just might like, it used to be, you'd be burned alive for speaking up. And now it's like, but someone might not like me. Let's think about representation versus reputation. Yep. Because if you want a reputation as a bitch, it's easy to build that. But when you lead with strength, positivity, openness, and action, a lot of men are going to get behind that. They want to champion that. But if you go in going, I don't know, I just, I'm not ready, then they don't want to back you. You're not the winning person to back. So there has to be that. Will someone think you're a bitch? Someone might say you're a bitch because that's how they take power back because they feel their power was tested. Too bad. I am not as worried about someone who thinks you're a bitch than I am about you never saying a word because someone might think it. I don't care. My work stands for itself. If you don't like working with me, granted, I have the luxury of deciding, well, I'm not going to work with you either. But I am not a difficult person to work Amen. with. I have strong opinions. If someone doesn't want those opinions, then why are you working with them? I hear everything that you are saying right now. I want to I wanna dive into this about, um, because we've mentioned it a bunch of times, and I don't think everybody's going to know what it is. We keep mentioning like the gateless methodology yes. and, and gateless and gateless and gateless. Um, and in the past couple of years, you've really... Um, 
made this one of the, like the heartbeats of, of your work, like pulling it forward. And it's, yeah, and I had and no it's idea. Woven, <laughs> it's woven into like, like, like everything. And it's, I love, and as also as a, a fellow gateless person, you know, I love it. Um, so I try to come to your salons and the things you're doing all the time because it's wicked fun. Um, but, um, just, just talk to people a little bit about what that is and like how you maybe weave it into your work a little yes. bit. I know it's fascinating. You listen to Karen, you listen to Suzanne Kingsbury, who created the method and named it. You listen to any number of other gateless teachers. They all talk about differently, but it is all built on the same thing. And the way I describe it, since I use it in different ways, and, yeah. and by the way, I loved it and benefited from it personally and professionally um, from just learning it. And then I went to get trained in it. And I didn't know why. Because I was like, what am I going to do? Lead fucking writing? I was like, what am I going to do? Lead writing retreats? And I was like, guess what I'm doing now? Like, it, it was amazing to me, but here's why I love it. And I'll tell you and I'll explain what it is. It has become the compass for everything else. Mm -hmm. And what I love, what it is, is simply it was created as a method that Suzanne Kingsbury, who's a developmental editor and bestselling novelist, a method she used to help her writers get past writer's block so that she could help them get out what she knew they had to say, but they couldn't get out of their own way to say it. So it was created in that way to quiet the fight or flight, to quiet the critics so that we could access the most genius part of us. When you experience a gateless workshop and you feel that part of your brain stroked, mm -hmm. it is exciting and warm and wonderful. It is the best possible feeling you can have. You're more likely to create wonderful work. Now, she used it for novelists and writers and poets and memoirists, and people use it for all kinds of things. I took it where I was already doing some work, which was kind of the corporate, like as a corporate consultant. Mm -hmm. I've taken it in recently, uh, did a workshop with the top VPs women at L'Oreal, where they didn't sign up for a writing workshop. That's not what this is about. But I use the writing and the page as the tool because there wasn't enough trust between them. And they also are afraid to speak up, even though that company is 70% women and they're incredible. They've closed their gender gap and all of that, but they still don't trust. I said, what if we create an atmosphere so they can at least experience what trust feels like? Mm -hmm. So that's one totally different use for it. I've also used it with the branding work that you've talked about. I used to be like, oh God, I have to come up with someone's brand. Now I use the gateless method. I sit down sometimes with a room full of financial advisors, mostly white men over 50, let's be honest, that is who this crowd is, and a few women. And I sit in a room and I go, okay, here's what we're going to do. Take out a piece of paper and pen and you're going to just do this thing. I know it feels weird, do it anyway. And I say, right about a time when you knew that a client understood what you offered or something like that. And they'll write, like, write a story, show me the story. They go around and read. When I tell you I was in a financial firm and there was not a dry eye in the room as they read their stories and cried, they didn't sign up to do that. I didn't go in trying to make them cry, but when they actually shared the stories that mattered to them, boom, there was their brand. So I use Gateless because it's fucking magic because it brings out what they know. So instead of me having to make something up for them and have that That's incredible right. pressure, you call it I forth, hold it out. It's like a magic trick. That's why I'm hesitant to take too much credit for it because it is a tool that I'm using. Yeah, but, but you have, you, but I think it's enhanced. I think it's magnified. I think a, a gift that you, and I'm not taking away from gateless. I just think you also have, um, you have, you just have this thing about you. And I think gateless is definitely same thing. Like I was doing yoga and writing workshops and I had been leading stuff before I came to gateless. Uh, but I just feel like it, it magnifies that innate 
doesn't it want to call it i think it's like the ultimate spiritual seasoning because it everyone it's not just for writers every person has creativity they want to be heard they've not been validated and they've probably been embarrassed and this is like this universal balm that heals highlights and extracts people's brilliance and it's become just the tool like I, i i find that it has so many uses and so the fun part for me is why don't i turn over here why don't you it's like one of those like swiss army knives you're like let's try it over on this thing so i found it incredibly useful and um actually and i'll mention it since we're going that direction i'm now using it like i wanted to bring these two worlds together the branding stuff that i do for companies but also individual people need to know how to talk about what they do and when i sent out that email which got us talking i asked people why do you hate answering the question what do you do for a living and they're like oh my god it brings up so much anxiety and fears of judgment and fears of scrutiny and not good enough and imposter syndrome that's not i don't know how to answer what to tell people how i make my money that's a fear of how we appear to others. And I think Gateless can solve that too. And so that's the thing that I was telling you that I'm, it, I'm still in the midst of creating it. I'm, I'm looking for people who are interested in experiencing Gateless in order to find and explore what it is they do so they can talk about it without so much fear. I like, it was so interesting because, and this is what definitely, those of you who are listening, this is how we ended up on this podcast is because I got that email and I wrote right back to Terry because I found the question, um, you know, what do you do? I find it so fascinating for as Americans, it's, it's, we, you know, we usually start with this, um, you know, so where do you live? You married? You got any kids? Right. Right. What do you do? What they're really asking is usually, usually as Americans, how do you make your money? That's right. So when they would say to me, what do you do? I would always go like, I don't know. I do a lot of things. Right? Right. Like, I do a lot of things. Like in what context? Like, what do you mean? Do you mean how I make my money? Or like, what do I do? I read books. I have furry kids. I, I skateboard. Like whatever. Like I'm like, I could fill in the blanks. You're an entrepreneur. You right. It's like, what thing. do I yeah, what do I do, right? But that's what they want to know usually is like, how do you, what do you do with your time during the day to make money or whatever? And I think that those of us who, again, sometimes are too close to our work, we have a really hard time like describing like, what is a spiritual meant to do? All right. Like I can tell you what a storyteller does. I can tell you what a yoga teacher usually does, but like there's these facets. I think sometimes I say I'm often like a kaleidoscope, like what, like what, how do you say it? When someone says, what just, what is a spiritual mentor? Because those words, I know what they mean, spiritual and mentor versus a a mentor who teaches people how to weld metal. Like that's yeah. that kind of mentor. But I am like, I have an idea of what it means, but do you think most people get that wrong? When you say spiritual mentor, yes. are you people, that people, people what do they think? They go spirit, well, I, like somebody, like I asked a question in this group um, and I wasn't on the call to hear the answer. So I watched the replay to see if they would answer it. And even the word spiritual like somebody started going, so like, let's say that there's like meditations that you do or affirmations or whatever. I'm like, that's not, that's like, it's not affirmations and, and crystals and oils. Not that those things, as you can, if you can see what's behind me, it's not that those things aren't there, but it's like people like, what does the spiritual mental do? Like, who's your ideal client avatar? Like da, 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 da. And I'm like, I cannot, I'm like people, men and women, adults. I could tell you that much. Why do they come to me? And I'm like, there are a thousand ways to suffer 
and I say, this being human is an ongoing problem. This being human is like being in the fucking forgiveness Olympics. That's what I always say, right? Like <laughs> people, people come to me for a lot of different reasons. Anything from literally I have a dead kid and my grief is like overwhelming to I haven't prayed in 20 years and I feel disconnected from whatever to I, I wake up in the morning and I feel like I have no purpose to and here's the thing, I, I lead with spiritual menta because I believe like that pot, just like you, you're like, I believe part of the solution of a lot of these things is gateless, right? For me, it's like the part of our solution, the piece that's missing. We're not gonna, you can have a, a gazillion dollars in the bank in a wicked successful company and still feel fucking miserable. You could have, you could finally have the house and the babies and have all your dreams come true and inside you still feel empty. So for me, I know that part of the solution is the spiritual solution. The fact that- we So they're missing that. So you're saying that people are having that missing link. They're looking for external validation and accomplishment. And so you help them acknowledge, heal, and fill the very human void inside of them with what? Is it practices? Is it advice? Like someone might go, like if someone's talking to you, they might know someone who is perfect for you, but they might go, well, is, how is that different from a life coach? Now, if someone innocently asks you that, mm-hmm. how do you, because a life coach, they're wonderful life coaches too. Yeah, so how would you differentiate there? Yeah, because so it's, it, it ends up being like um, helping people to deepen, the, I always say like deepening your relationship to self, source, and spirit. So whether that's through daily spiritual practices, um, it's really helping people to just see things through a different lens, shifting Uh, their perception from a thought system of fear to a thought system of love, shifting their perception of, so my process that I use is called your story to your glory. So it's about taking all these stories that we have written, the meaning that we've assigned to yes. this about what happened to us, what it meant. So my mother died when I was a kid or, you know, my parents got divorced. Like as a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, we imprint those things on, it's my fault. I wasn't good enough if I had only whatever. So people will say to me, will you work with adults? And I say, well, I work with wounded children walking around in adult bodies. Yes. So it's about- You have so many great lines. Those lines- are all amazing. Oh, well, they I love them. So- They're so clear, but you can tell you've had facility with saying those lines over and over because you're right. We are just kids walking around in adult skin. That's yeah. it. And trying to like figure it out. And so I create a safe place where you can come in and hash out some of this stuff and like let go of. So it's like, you know, you got to tell your story. You got to surrender your story, be willing to assign different meaning to it. And you got to, then you got to revise it's all like, I'm a storyteller in spirituality. So they, they go in like- You heal through story. Yes. But if someone yeah. says, okay, so you do one-on-one work or group work, you do a combination, it sounds like. I do both. So I do have one-to-one yeah. clients. And then I also have the NAST, my spiritual membership and community, which is where a lot of the group coaching and stuff happens. But that's something that people can understand. People know those things exist now. And so in a way, I'm always glad for that. I'm glad that there are things. I don't want to have to invent something and try to explain it. You have- a very clear handle on what you do and how you do it. It's a matter of if someone says, well, I don't like the idea of a spiritual mentor and they're afraid of it. Well, then they're not for you. They're going to go find a life coach or a therapist, right? But, and you don't need to like poo-poo other people's professions. I'm not saying you should, but someone might say that sounds like coaching. Would you consider what you do coaching? And I am leaning into this for a reason. I want to push on the nerve because I know you and say, is there a fear that you will be considered a coach or do you not mind it? Because you specifically don't call yourself that. So I, as someone who's listening for different things, want to understand why or how that's different. 
that why I say- Why is it not coaching? Because it sounds like coaching, but if there's a reason why you- I hate the word coaching. That's something I'd want to know. That's my cat. She has, he has allergies. Oh no. I love, I bring him on. You know, I think he's, he's adorable. Sneezing. Like he can totally come in. Um, no, I mean, I think that, um, it's a lot of things. It's like, uh, the word coach was just like, everybody was all of a sudden like a life coach. And then, okay. Like, so is that the reason? Cause you don't want to be folded in with that. I don't want to be, yeah, I just don't want to be blended in like folding the cheese. I'm like, I don't want to be folded into like, oh, you're a life coach. And I say, I use the word menta because I look back through my own life of all of my teachers. Nobody coached me. I was mentored under these powerful well, What's the difference? That's really interesting. How do you see mentoring is different? Because that, um, you just said it, it made an impact well, on let's, your life. Let's, let's just break it down to simple semantics. I had a, I had a, um, and, I, and I, here's what I would say. So like I had a softball coach, right? And I had a, uh, a cheerleading coach and I've had coaches. They told you what to do. And my mentors tried to pull forth from me they, 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 it was, it's just, and, and let me just say this, mentoring the word itself is just a little more warmer and fuzzier to me. Okay. So this is, but this is important. That is the brand, this pressure. And I'm not assuming you feel this pressure because you're obviously doing great in what you do, but we do feel a pressure and we get on our heels and a little defensive about why we're doing it. If I met you at a party, I'd be like, well, tell me why it's different from coaching. I'm just interested in the language people yeah, use yeah. to describe what they do because a coach who does draw on spirit and uses all these kinds of things, they, they see coaching different. But what I like about what you're saying is you just said it. You said, I had coaches in my life and I had mentors. The coaches were great and on the ground telling me what to do to make things improve my actions. But the mentors helped me lead myself. And that you're saying that you help people. You don't lead them around. You help them find what's in them that could lead. And to I'm, solve and serve their own needs. Yes, because a lot of times in coaching, people are waiting to be coached. They're like, just tell me what to do. Give me the systems. Give me the things. And there I'll, you go. I'll follow the steps. I'll do all the steps. Just tell me what to do. There's and a market I, for that. And I, right, a market I'm, again, not bagging on it because I hear a lot of coaches say, and I say it too. I always say, this is not therapy. I'm not a trained therapist. I am That's a certified, right. I'm a certified spiritual mentor, but I know my lane. I'm trauma informed, but I still know my lane. That's right. So, so, so I think that's think, really important. Yeah. And when a coach comes in, it's in, I, I'll say, you can have all the strategy in the world, but if you don't have self, if you have self-worth problems or self-love problems, or you feel disconnected, uh, whether it's from your spiritual family or your on the ground family or whatever, like this is the stuff that often comes up is that people, so a lot of coaches will say, we're not going to look back at what happened. I'm going to meet right. where you are right. right now. And we're just focusing here because I'm not a therapist and I don't want right. to hear your boohoo or whatever. I'm not saying all coaches say that, but I'm saying there's just this, it's often performance based. I'm going to help you. I'm going to promise this thing, which is either six figure months or more clients, or at the end of this, you'll have it's a practical. Yes. But my brand quote unquote brand is down-to-earth practical spiritual application. It's about taking these great gonna, yes. spiritual principles and putting them to work in your everyday life. I don't see the point of sitting around theorizing about things. We've got to get some- Yes, theorizing is dangerous. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Um, so my, you my, get down to it, yeah. Yeah, but my point being is that I wanted you to, to talk about this whole- um, 
you know, because we're gonna we're gonna invite people. I'm actually just gonna say the link right now because I, I want to make sure we we slip it in here. Um, so if if this conversation and we're gonna continue talking about it in a second is even just like if it's piquing your curiosity or calling to your heart. So you want to go to Terry Trespicio, and it's gonna be I'll spell I'll spell it to you right now. It's T E. Oh, this is hard. You got eyes. You, <laughs> you do it. I like ah ah. <laughs> Uh, listen, if you Google Terry Just Be Show, Google understands how badly people mess up the name, but it's just Terry, T-E-R-R-I, and the last name is simply, T isn't Tom, right? T-R-E-S-P-I-C-I-O. So if you Google Terry Just Be Show, my website will come up, add on slash, you know, terryjustbeshow.com slash, what do you do? And that's where we're capturing, it, it's not a registration form because I'm still creating the workshop, but I really just want to know who is interested in this conversation? No obligation, just be part of the conversation so I can create something that is serving exactly what you need. But I want to back up, Karen, because sometimes I'll be talking to someone like this and I keep getting a persistent image. I'm not a psychic, but I hear psychics say things like this, like it'll be thing and I'll just go, okay. Yeah. And then it comes up again and then I can't ignore it. And so whenever I see those things coming up, and I'm not saying you have to use this, but when you talk about it, I keep seeing this image of a light and that what you're doing, because we think light, right? Spiritual light, you're helping them see things differently. You've used that. I'm hearing from, just drawing from what you've told me. But you also talk about practical and being grounded and having access to things. You can't practically use electricity if you don't plug it in. And I keep seeing a light and plugging in. And when they talk about, you know, having a grounded, you know, means plugging into the source, which is another thing, and lighting up. So I just keep seeing that. And I don't know if it's useful. Because I say it all the time. What? That's that, that thing that you're actually describing is something that I speak on and talk about those exact images. So what we often say is that the divine is the electricity. We are the lamps. We don't light up unless you literally plug in. But I've never heard you say that. Well, not to you right now, but- But then how did I think of it? Well, well, <laughs> I'm tuning into your brain. But that's what I'm saying. But, but that's the great news is like that whole thing is so part of what I help people to do is to learn how to plug in. Oh my God. I mean, I, maybe I heard it before and I forgot about, it, but as you were talking, even yesterday, I kept seeing that. I was like, it's light and it's all that ethereal stuff, but it's grounded. It, you must be plugged in. And it's kind of like, I have this lamp. I thought I'd be able to see it. It's like, bitch, plug it in. And it's like, they're not, they're not doing that. Right. And we are not doing that. Sometimes we thought having the equipment was enough. And well, right. so, it's like have, right. a lamp without a, a lamp without being plugged in. And this is, it's like, so how do I plug in? And that's where the practice that's it. come in. But then like, why would you think you have a problem with branding when we've just already, you've already said what it is. Here's the problem is a thousand ways to suffer. People are just kids growing, you know, walking around in adults. We have so many stories and we don't need to therapeutize them, right? If that's a word, we don't have to, you know, be therapists who take them apart and tell you what's wrong with you. What we have to do is see the arc of the story and be able to plug in to the kind of thing that will power our own growth and our vision. You already do that. You say that. It's, it's a perfect example of how you should do it, is what I'm telling you. <laughs> and, and this is a perfect example for those of you who are listening of Terry's genius. And yeah, but obviously I must have heard you say, I don't know how, it's, uh, maybe I'm cheating, but I, I really just kept no. seeing this I, lamp. I don't think you're cheating. I think that, um, first of all, we would say all minds are joined. There's a collective consciousness. And I think why this is so helpful to me is that 
I, there is so much, right? Like there is so much in, in the spiritual work that I do um, that it's like knowing where to start. So it's always like, who am I talking to? First of all, I assess who I'm talking to. That's right. And I always say, I want to be able to talk about God and spirituality and this kind of stuff with a guy who is jackhammering on Newbury Street. That's what I always say. I want to be able to make, make this accessible because one of the things that I saw um, over the past however many years, and it's why I believe, nobody ever talks about this, but it's why I believe that yoga became so popular, is that everybody started leaving the church. I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people started Oh, they definitely the lost some people. <laughs> but they were still looking for something. And Instead I of skin every, hunger, it was soul hunger. They wanted- Everybody started throwing out Jesus with, I'm like, baby Jesus went out with the bathwater. <laughs> oh, and God. I was like, but they wanted- He's something. fine. They want, no, I know. But they wanted some nourishment. They wanted some That's sort right. of a thing. And so people started going, flocking to like yoga studios because the yoga teachers would be there mm -hmm. saying their Pema Chodron quotes and saying these little right. spiritual things. And, and I just realized like people, people are suffering and they think that the fix is going to come in this. And I know that as soon as you believe that you are separate from your source, whatever you call it, I don't get attached mm -hmm. to the names, you will suffer. You'll be trying to fill a God-sized hole with some bonbons and it's not going to happen. Right, with right, some right. great sex, with, what, with a gazillion dollars. With a great red wine. <laughs> so You'll I lose guess, a lot of alcohol down that hole, right? Because it can't fill it. I always say it's like pissing into the Grand Canyon. Good luck with that. <laughs> Right. So I think like with you, this conversation, because something that you said when we were, we, we were riffing back and forth yesterday, you said, you know, why does, when we ask this question, um, what do you do? Why does it throw people into a tailspin? Why do we get so anxious about talking about it? Why do you think that is where people get uncomfortable? Because it brings up what we were told is okay and not okay to do. Like, literally one of the people who wrote me back on that email yesterday was um, a man who said, I have a hard time pitching because I was taught not to brag. I don't like to brag. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so you just made a total leap. Meanwhile, he's in a business where he needs to meet and talk to people. I'm sure he's fine, but he was almost <laughs> proud. I could tell, I could hear it in the language. He was almost proud of the fact that he was bad at talking about himself because we think we're bad about it. We're good because we're so humble. Yes, you know, um, right. I'm humble. Being a braggy asshole means saying, I'm better than everyone. Everyone sucks. You, you are not partnered with anyone. You won't support anyone else. And you say, I'm the best. I'm the best. Um, I'm a big Howard Stern fan. And he talks about what an asshole he was before he did his gazillion years of therapy, where he couldn't like what anyone else, when anyone else had talent, because he thought it was a zero-sum game. You can talk about what you do and share what you do without being a braggy asshole without being impolite, without looking like you're trying to be slick. First of all, if you don't want to feel slick and fake, don't do a weird, cheesy tagline. When someone asks you what you do, what they're really doing is just trying to start a conversation around work because they're not going to go, so when's the last time you had sex? They're not going to ask you that the first time you meet them. Um, they're going to ask you what you do because it's actually a safe way to get started. So uh, you don't have to worry that you're being called to the witness stand to testify against your own abilities. And that is what people feel they're being called to do. Oh, uh, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I'm not going to be interesting. They're just asking a simple question. The other day, I didn't feel like answering it. 
I was on a call with someone else and, and I was trying to get to know what she was into. And she was like, I want to hear all about you. And I was like, oh, I got tired by that too. I was like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about me. So I go, oh yeah, I'm happy to tell you, but first tell me this. And I went right to her and I go, I know that you've done a lot of speaking. Tell me about what you're doing. Do you think she said, no, no, no. I asked you first. No, of course she was happy to talk about herself. So you don't want to ask her the question, turn it back on them. You know? Yes, I do know. And I hear what you're saying. And I also think that, um, one of the things, one of the things is, I think a lot of times we overly identify our, we overly identify with our jobs, like that we are what our jobs are. So what if you have a job that actually you do it just because I asked a friend of mine one time who is incredible, like serial entrepreneur, incredibly successful, wealthy, whole thing. And we were talking a lot about branding and marketing and the kind of market. Like, I, he's like, you don't really do marketing. He's like, I don't really, he's like, how you even like have a business? He thinks it's hysterical. So he's just <laughs> like, I don't know how you're doing it, but whatever. And, um, but he once said to me, I said, yeah, but all the things that the marketing people tell me I quote unquote should do, I really don't want to do. And I said to him, so like, what do you do in that case? And he, he, got, really, <laughs> he got really quiet and he just said to me, he said, if I'm being honest, I think a lot of people did what they had to do to make enough money so they could stop doing what they didn't want to do. And if you were driven to do that, you might market because you wanted to get out of where they That's were, right. of where you were. That's right. But you're not unhappy. You're not trying to escape. No, but I just thought it was interesting about this concept of why we do the things that we do. We are talking about, because we're not talking like, what do you do? And it's like, well, on Sundays I go to church or on Tuesdays I go to yoga and aerobics and I paint right. like, or I, you know, and, and those of us, what do we do? Those of us who are multi-passionate like you and I are, yes, we do write. Like you have a book deal, you have a book that's going to be coming out. I want to make sure we mention that too. We do a lot of things, but I think in this, this thing of like, let's distill down to like my life or my work, because we have- so My whole life worth. <laughs> Right. Distilled down to like, what do you do? And I've actually, I can't tell you how many times, let's say I've been at like Hannaford, the grocery store, whatever. And there'll be somebody working there. And I'll say, how are you doing? Cause I'm looking friendly to everybody. Right. And sometimes the answer is, well, I just picked up this job on the side. I'm, I'm really a student. And they'll start like, because you can tell that they're embarrassed for having embarrassed. the job that they have. Yeah. And guess what? Sometimes we have jobs that we don't really like, and you don't have to say that. You can, if someone says, well, what do you do? Be like, oh, I have, a, I have like a, a nine to five job um, in a human resources firm. But let me tell you what is the most thing I just did. That is so most fun thing I just did. You can direct their attention. They're just kind of coming in with a lens going, where should I focus on you? You don't have to apologize for your job. You have a job. You don't have to explain why you have that job. Actually, the other person really doesn't care. Person, <laughs> let's get down to it. Let's right? get down to it. The person you're talking, you will find yourself talking to, did not wake up this morning wondering what you do for a living. They actually don't really care in that moment. What they want is connection. And so I do like to listen to what someone else does first, because then I will shape what I do to something that they'll connect to, because I'm more interested in the connection than in having them understand. People say, how do I get people to understand what I do? I go, they don't care. Find a way to connect so that when they get to know you, they become interested in you because of you, not because of your title. 
And that's a really big thing. People can't describe, my own parents can't describe what I do for a living. It doesn't matter. What matters is, oh, I, do you know who, can you write blogs for me? I'd be like, no, I can't write blogs for you, but I know people who can. I would rather be a resource, a contact, someone they trust, someone they want to yeah. do fine. If someone likes you, they're going to find ways to work with you. But don't you think that it's kind of been ingrained a lot? I'm, I'm, I'm not pushing back. I'm curious about no, no. this, but we, we've all been told you need to have your two line profitable marketing message. You need to have your elevator pitch. You need for to be whom, able to though? tell people what you do. Who? Right? When well, you're pitching say, for clients? Well, I think that like, no, I think in your marketing, like they always, like, I remember like being in, right. being in a, a business coaching program and one of the first things we had to do was nail down, like fill in these sentences. Where? I help. I help. I help people. Yes, yes, yes. Who? What's their problem? And then what's your solution? And I think for a lot of people trying to distill things down, unless it's like I sell this widget. Right. I sell right. this formula that unclogs your drain. That's easy with its products. But I think sometimes in human services stuff, it feels a little more like slippery. It is. And I think that that whole, like, write down your why and fill in these blanks. I'd be like, <laughs> where is it going? I think I never write the same thing twice. I never write the same thing twice. and never say the same thing twice. I don't have a canned thing. I don't see the point because every time I talk to someone, I want to talk about them because they only really care about them. And I want to see if maybe I can help them with them. They don't give a crap. So if I go, well, I help people fund the dreams and the futures of their life. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Like if someone's really interested, I heard you're a writer. Tell me about what that is. I'd be like, well, I'm working on a few things. Here's one thing. Give them a track to go down. That's it. But you know, they're doing that, I think, to help people understand what they're trying to sell. Because if you don't know, you know what you do, but some people don't know. It's good exercise so that you understand what you're trying to do. Um, I have, I, I know a friend of mine, I know her tagline and it's so simple. She's, her name is Elise Bennon. She's a marketing expert. Um, and she says, I help creative professionals get better clients with bigger budgets. That's it. There's no magic and dreaminess. It's, well, I need that. She is incredibly practical with how she talks about it. Better clients with bigger budgets. Let go of the idiots, the jerks, and the people who underpay you. That's it. What are you helping someone do? That is helpful because someone's going to go, well, I'm glad you're passionate about blah, 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 but what the fuck are you going to do for me? They want to know how you're going to help them. Um, so that is important. But how I help someone changes based on who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. And so I don't lead with a tagline. I just don't. Um, I don't have one on my website. I mean, I really, I, I know how taglines are important, but when you, you ever say your own tagline, you feel like an asshole. Wait, wait, wait. But here's what I love. I did, I wrote this down. Uh, one of the things, one of the first things you see on your website, you say, what if the very thing that makes you different is the one thing you've overlooked? Yes. And I, I wrote that and I love that, but I've never said it out loud. <laughs> but it's real. It's pot. But that's the thing of your genius that I keep pointing back to is you have the ability to see in people. You are, I'm simplifying it, but you are an extraction artist. You are able to extract from people. That's fine because when you come to the website, you go, oh, that's cool. But if I meet someone at the party, I don't say that line. Well, it's more like when they go there, weird. they get it. That would be weird. 
That would be weird. Like, that's what I'm saying. People like, feel, but that's my point is that people feel really weird and phony when they, well, my pitch is this and they feel like they're doing a line uh, out of a movie that isn't there. It's like, it feels weird, but yes, I have as my tagline, whatever you want to call it, my intro line on my website is a question because I, I like to lead with questions. I want people to think. I don't want to be like, I'm a this, I'm a that. When people tell, how do I tell people who I am? I always go, honey, they don't care. It's okay. <laughs> I'm like, how about you tell me why I care? Don't tell me about who you are. How am I going to tell people how brilliant I am? And I have all these things. I'm like, great. They don't really give a shit. They're thinking through their grocery list while you say that. Um, they want to know if you can help them. And so that's what I focus on. That's why it changes every time. So I kind of want people to be relieved by that. So they don't feel like they have to have this one perfect thing. No one's like, people go, well, I'm interested in lots of different things. Oh, you're a human. Is that what you're saying? You're not this water glass that has no interests. Like, obviously people have a myriad interests in bed. That's what makes people interesting. And I think one of the things that you're saying that's important that we haven't touched on is that in order to know how you're going to help somebody and you have to lead with those questions, you also have to have a skill set of generous listening. Yes. That's the gift. I mean, and I work hard on that because I don't think I'm necessarily naturally all that great at it. I've learned to be, and as shy kids, we were very tuned in and listening because we were afraid. Um, but yes, if you can listen to someone, people will always want to talk to you. And in my line of work, if people want to talk to me, that's a great thing. So if you don't want people to talk to you, that's easy enough. But if you want them to talk to you, Find ways to ask them questions. This, this, this thing doesn't have to be so upsetting. That would be my goal is to not people feel so upset when they have to, I have to sum up everything I do. No one can. I've done stand-up comedy. I've written and published poetry. I have done improv comedy for fun. Uh, I do all kinds of things. I edit my own video. I taught myself how to do that. No one cares. That's what I like to do. But if someone met me at a comedy show, they go, oh, she's a stand-up comic. But the financial guys don't know that. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. I don't need to. Our goal is not to be like, how's everyone going to know all the parts of me? That's for your significant other, for your friends, for people who want to know all the parts of you. But this idea that I have to be somehow so uh, spellbinding is just too much pressure. I don't need to be spellbinding. I just need to like have a nap or... <laughs> Ride your Peloton. Or ride my Peloton. Or have some wine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hang out with your cat. Yes. But one of the things, tell, tell us about, um, tell us about your, your book. And, uh, oh, yes. The book is coming out in January 2022. Um, the unofficial title, which I have pushed hard for, is called uh, Unfollow Your Passion. Uh, I had a book that I thought I was going to publish. And then they're like, yeah, what about that TED Talk, though? And I was like, oh, okay. And I realized they really wanted the book version of that. So I mushed it together and I didn't really know what it was going to be till I finished doing it. The publisher is Atria Books at Simon & Schuster and they really wanted it to have a how-to element. Yeah, yeah. And so I worked gateless in, gateless come to the rescue. I pushed some of that in there to, so that it's a guide for people to see there's another way to see their lives than the major they chose, the passion they chose. Like forget all that stuff. It's all on this, on that, as you know, and it's meant to be a manual for freeing yourself from what other people expect of you so you can live a life of meaning and passion arises from that. So uh, I have submitted the manuscript. I am sitting on my hands waiting to hear if they like it. That is what's happening. And you know what? 
They might send it back with a million red marks on it. I don't know. So you, you sent in the first draft? Yeah, you send now, in the submission. Now you're waiting. You're oh, waiting this is what is the book? This is it. It's not even like, let's go through many drafts. It's like, we're going to go through many drafts. But it was like, here's what I think the book is. And I have not heard a word. It's been over a month. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I'm just waiting. And I'm as worried as anyone else would be about what someone else thinks of their work. Um, but I can tell you that I have it in writing in a contract that a book is coming out. So it's like a baby. Like you're pregnant. The baby's coming out. It has to come there's out. No stopping the baby. Except well, the I baby, know. there's yeah. no stopping yeah. a baby or a contract. Sure. A illegal contract. So, so when that comes out, I'd be very excited because it obviously as a writer, it was always a, a dream to have a book. So I'm very excited about it. Oh that. my God, me too. It's one of my dreams too. And I know Laura Belgrade is also trying to write her book right now. Too. She has a deal and she is trying to write her book and she is an amazing writer and she has the same doubts and questions yes. about her work. We all do. So if yes. you think you have to be confident to do the work you want to do, no, you do not. You just have to do it. Do it. I can't wait till you do yours because I'm, I'm, stories... I mean, I'm trying to get my first, my first draft. I'm on, I'm on, I'm trying to get it done by, and, and I hold it loosely, but I'm trying to get the first draft done by the end of June. Oh, good. Because um, I want to try. It's just time. I've been carrying this story for like forever. Yes, this is a story that has to be heard. Of it. You've seen snippets of it because of so over long. the years. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I can't wait. I can't wait either. I'm like that. I think it's good timing for you because you, when I met you, didn't have this big a platform. Quite frankly, you need that platform to offer to offer the book so more people know about it. So well, I think everything I do in my business, he, a little secret squirrel, if anybody's paying attention. Everything that I do, like whether it's grow your list or do this or spiritual mentoring, I'm trying to, uh, how do I say it? It's organically happening, but really it's because I'm, I want to have um, a readership. I want some place. You have to nurture to that. I want some place for this book to land. And it has to have a community. Oh, yeah. And over the years, just because I, I'm a storyteller first and foremost, I, I, all the other things after my name, I most relate as a storyteller. Uh, so it's like, I've been telling stories long enough. People have been getting snippets of things long enough that they're like, they want the whole, the whole pie. Like I just got asked to, um, I was in a workshop with Andre Debus III and um, the work that I created during that workshop got, got whatever. He nominated me from memorable work, remarkable work. And they wanted, um, they just wrote to me and said, will you give us a chapter or a piece to put on the, the website? Oh my God. Amazing. And you know, oh, but was... I said, no, but I said, no, Wait, well, he nominated me, but no, the, the, the place that the main media call the place where we did it um, because you can only submit the work that you did uh, during his, during that workshop. And that scene is such a pivotal scene in the book, uh, in the narrative. And I don't want to, I don't, don't want to, I don't want to put it out. If, they, if there was, it was just like, oh, three pages of whatever, like maybe, but I don't need the, yeah, whatever. So I've just chosen not to submit it, but um, it was nice to, to get that. That's feedback. amazing. Those things matter. We have meaningful mentors, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So Terry, is there anything that I forgot to ask you? I literally that think that there's not. There's not one element that we missed. I mean, you have given me an incredible amount of space and time to share, and I'm very grateful for it. Oh, my God. Well, I think it's going to be wicked helpful for people, and I think that's one of the things I love about you because part of my work, too, is, um, is about freedom and helping people define freedom. And we both do it. I think we do it in different ways, but that's the end goal. Is the for goal people. is the same. 
is to, for people to find freedom. And so you guys, do you have any, um, do you have any um, writing salons or I know sometimes you'll do the six week sprints and stuff. Do you have anything like that coming up too? If somebody, yes, always every six weeks we have, and we do a free week, um, a start writing week, but um, so there's a lot of ways. I mean, you could just go to the website website. Yeah, that's the easiest way. Um, and there's a million things to, to try out and experience. And then we'll, we always do a live thing every couple of weeks. So I would love you to come. Yeah. I, yeah. If you're, I'm telling you guys, just come and have the experience. Um, you're going to fall in love with gateless writing like we all did. And, yes. Uh, it would be, you're going to also get a taste of uh, <clears throat> up close and personal Terry's magic. And I think everybody, uh, everybody should have that experience because it does, it changes lives. Terry, the work that you're doing, to help people um, see themselves more clearly, to understand their stories more clearly, to be able to learn how to express, um, you know, what they love, and to, to get it out into the world. Um, it is it, this is this is the thing that gives our lives meaning, and I yes. just think your work is so important, and uh, nobody does it better than you. And so I'm just so uh, I'm excited. I'm so excited you said yes, and we got to have this conversation. I love it. I love a spontaneity. Yeah. Spontaneous so, conversation. Yeah. So you guys go to our website. It will all also be in the show notes. You'll find everything you need to, to, to sign up. But I want to repeat again, terrytrespicio.com slash what do you do? If you want to be a part of this uh, conversation and uh, learn more about what Terry's going to be up to, because I know she's forming, something's going to come out of this. Something great something's going to come out. Workshop or something's going to come out of this. So. Oh, absolutely. Yes. We're going to do it in May. It's going to be happening in May. I just don't know quite how that's going to work yet, but we're working on it. Yeah. Well, you'll know what to do because that's how, that's how you work. You'll figure it out. It'll pop up. So you out. guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I, I love you guys. I appreciate you. I celebrate you. I, I hear you and I feel you. And just thank you so much. And as I always say at the end of every show, wherever you go, may you leave the people, the place, the animals, the environment better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days. And let me know what your favorite part was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.